Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to ask the question of the panel. Uh, if you see something that's hard to pronounce on a menu, do you still order it or do you order something else just because you're you're embarrassed that you might not know how to properly pronounce foie gras or something like that? So we'll get to that. We'll get to that with the panel and, and help me welcome them all. Daniel Shahori is here. He is the co-author of the provocatively titled Media Horror, A Shockingly Simple Guide to Becoming Your Own Kick-Ass Publicist. You wrote it with your brother. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. We also have Ruth Burns from Culture Days. Uh, Ruth is uh, running Culture Days these years. She's the executive, or these years, these days. She's the executive director of it, and it's Ontario Culture Days. And the word culture sometimes scares people off a little bit, but you have some really like grassroots kind of stuff here. And so you, there's a whole range of, of activities for people. A whole range. It's very fun, interactive, open programs all across the province. And they're all free. Great. And we'll talk about all of that uh, in just a little while. We also have uh, the author of the Barefoot Bingo Caller, uh, Antana Salika, is here. You were the director of the Humber School for Writers, so we're going to have to talk about your book and some tips uh, for writers and, and how to just get on with it. You bet. Uh, I'll be ready. I, I've, I've written my 10th book, just came out a wow. little while ago, and um, I saw a movie, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I, I, I saw a movie a little while ago called Patterson. It's about a guy who writes poetry, and my takeaway from that... At the end of the movie, he's given a book full of blank pages, right. and he looks at him. He's a little freaked out. He says, there's nothing on any of these pages. And the guy that gives him the book says, remember, every page is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And it changed ex the entirety of how I think about writing. So uh, we'll get to all that stuff all right. in a little while. I'm also going to do a shameless plug for my new television show. It's called Pop Life. It airs on the CTV News Channel Saturdays at 8.30. You can catch it again in reruns at 2.30 on Sunday. Or uh, if you want to watch it online, you can do that at the ctv.ca pop life website this week we have a really intriguing panel on sean cullen's there elon mastai the author uh and jen hollett from twitter canada and we're talking about social media the good the bad and the evil of it also my feature guest of the week is meatloaf and he's a fascinating guy i've been listening wow. to his music uh since i was a kid i had lots to talk to him about we shot a very long interview with it we cut it down for the show we'll put some of the outtakes on uh, Twitter and Instagram, also online a little bit later on. But here's just a little taste of what you'll hear in my interview with Meatloaf. I've read that you say that you have certain social anxieties, that you're quite shy, you don't love going to parties, you walk around at oh, parties, I hate parties. Uh, all that stuff. Um, was creating the character a way of getting around that? You have an extremely public job, and yet uh, you're a shy I, I, man. You know what? I've never thought of that, that nobody's ever asked me that. And I've never thought of that. And you might be right. Yeah. That's Meatloaf. He will be on Pop Life Saturday night at 8.30. Please tune in. In the meantime, though, let's talk about how New Yorkers refuse to eat these hard-to-pronounce dishes. There's a study done, and people will, I guess these days, study almost anything. But this is one of the things. So you're at a restaurant, and you're looking down... The, the list and probably at sort of like a, a, a fancy restaurant. You're looking down the, the menu and you see words that you can't pronounce, maybe. You might see a cassoulet and you look at it and you go, oh, well, that looks delicious, but I'm embarrassed to say the word to the waiter because they will think that I'm not smart enough to be, whatever it is that they think. Uh, but it, the, the numbers are 
um, uh, quite high, like 22% of, of customers said, yeah, no, if I, if I can't pronounce it, I, I just won't order it, even if I want it. Ruth, uh, would, you, would you just have a stab at it? I have no shame when it comes to food. If I want it, I'm willing to embarrass myself. So absolutely, I'll I'll just ask the waiter, or I'll pronounce it in a terribly awkward way. Or point. That's why we have fingers. Actually, if you say cassoulet, I say cassoulet. 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 (laughs) I've done it Yeah, there you go. But I I live with a a woman who will not let any ambiguity last. So she will work her way down the whole menu. So I must act preemptively and Uh, ask or she will work her way down. And uh, Daniel, I I like right sitting right here. I like to say that I would. You, you never know the dynamic when you're there when it's happening. But often, if, even in everyday conversation, if somebody uses a word in a conversation with me that I don't understand, I will stop this person and say, "I'm sorry, I don't know if that. What does that word mean?" Right. Yeah, and, and yeah, I don't know. I I think it's kind of funny. I years years and years ago, uh, I worked in a number of restaurants that had some you know hard to pronounce things yeah. on the mm-hmm. menu, and and I was always kind of charmed by people's attempts at, at uh, ordering things. And you know, listen, it's food. Yeah, it's right, nourishment right. for the soul. Right. It's I would, not, I would definitely know. ask about it. I said, yeah. what is this? What is this called? What is this? Yeah, but yeah, there is nothing, are. you know, any more sort of daunting than looking at something on a menu that you don't quite understand. And you're having a look and you go, oh, I know what like half the things are yeah. in the ingredient yeah. list. And then you get something and it's got, you know. Something with eyes and a tail well, in the middle it, of it, uh, in the middle of your dish. There's also the foreign, the foreign uh, thing that happens. So I was in Paris once as a young man and didn't know what steak au poivre was. I knew right. what a steak was, but when the pepper came on top of it, wow, that was an experience. <laughs> well, for me, it was in, in France when I was a kid. Yeah. I went and uh, I was on my own for the first, you know, for the first couple of days as a kid. I was 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old, and I didn't speak French, and and you know, I was having a rough time. And I went in, and I went to a restaurant that you know, was a pizzeria. I knew I could get a pizza. I knew that was gonna, not going to be hard. So I, and I don't like seafood. So sort of the basis right. of this story is that I do not right. like seafood. Right. And so I, I see a menu, and I'm able to figure out it's got mushrooms on it. It's got whatever, and something called fruit de mer. And I don't yeah. know what right. that is, but what you know, <laughs> hey, whatever. And, uh, it, and, go. and, and, and it came, it, and the pizza was beautiful. And it came, and it had little octopuses, yes, tiny I little see ones that were standing on <laughs> yeah. their feet, and and in the middle of it, and. I was, I mean, I'm not squeamish at all now about food, but I think I was probably back then. I'd never really seen anything like that before. And I sat and stared at it until they took it away. And uh, then I went to McDonald's, and for the next few days, you know, the, that's why McDonald's is McDonald's, because it's the same everywhere right. yeah. you go. Well, there's nothing it's... more disappointing than the order where it's just not what you want no. at all. Yeah. yeah. And fruit de mar, is, that's just seafood. That's it's just seafood. It's just sort of a, they a weren't catch-all. Even, yeah, they weren't even specific. Right. When you had octopus, they, yeah. they didn't even specify what no. seafood. Now I like octopus. Mm. At the time, freaked out by octopus. <laughs> So women are 50% more likely to trust a man who cries. They also like men who can bake and men who can dance. Ruth, I'll start with you because you're the only woman on the panel. So this is a study that that calls uh, crying and baking and dancing non-masculine behaviors. And I sort of, that's what caught my eye about this because I'm not much of a baker, but I'm a really good cook. And mm-hmm. I, I don't mind dancing every now and again, and I've been known to cry. So I guess, according to this, I am, and I've also been with my wife forever. So maybe that's what attracted her to me. I don't know. But but uh, I don't see them as non-masculine behaviors. Well, I, I, 
I agree with you. I mean, of course, there's norms of masculinity mm-hmm. where people are men are often discouraged from crying or being expressive or doing domestic chores. And really, I think as a woman, I just want a well-rounded yes. man who's going to occasionally bake me some banana bread like my husband does <laughs> and mm. go out dancing. Yeah, well, I've got some thoughts on that one. The first one is you can bake. Indeed, I do bake, but I would never bake on a date or someone that I just met. I would only bake in a relationship where it's established already. That's because fair. otherwise, mm-hmm. it's like I'm Mr. Whole Wheat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's let's just chant some kumbaya or right. something. You know, that's not the Birkenstocks. It's not the image I want to portray. Right. As to dancing, women do want to dance more than I generally do. And I find that <laughs> the way to deal with that is two shots of bourbon yeah. and you're on the floor and then you can yeah. do whatever you want. Just so in it. a relationship, Relationship's different, sorry? Mm-hmm. Just go for it. Just go Just for, go it. for yeah. it, yeah. I agree with Ruth where I assume that all people want somebody who's basically well-rounded. If a man or a woman never cried, that would just be weird after a while. For nothing would, would bring them to that state. I would find that, like, not that there's necessarily something wrong with that person, but that would be odd because it is a natural human emotion. Yeah. Uh, how much crying? Sorry, sorry, I've got the well, question. No, how much crying? How much crying? Yeah. I had a girlfriend once who had a boyfriend who cried every day. You know, again, that's a little... Well, well, well-rounded, again, is a the, well-rounded what we us back yeah. to... Yeah. I don't know. I, I've always heard that a sense of humor was the thing that, that, that attracted, ambition. you know, was sort of the most yeah. kind of attractive thing. If you, if you can make someone laugh, then you're, you know, you're in. Humor. Well, and it's about communicating, yeah, right, and right. connecting with someone. Well, I don't see them as non-masculine behaviors, so... No, they're yeah. human behaviors. They're human <laughs> behaviors. Yeah, we right, should right, all right. be able to bake and cry when right, we right. Right. But not too much. <laughs> <laughs> Well-rounded. Baking, like crying, <laughs> yes. Um, so, Sean Spicer at the Emmys, uh, you know, it was a great moment of in crowd reaction. So if you didn't see the Emmys last week, Stephen Colbert set it up with a joke that essentially said, I have no idea how many people are going to watch this. I hope this is the most watched Emmys ever. How could we ever tell? Who could tell us how many people will be watching? And then Sean Spicer on a little motorized podium, a la Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live, jets out onto the stage and says, I tell you, this will be the most watched Emmys. And and essentially kind of parroting what he said about Trump's inauguration, about Mm -hmm. how it was the most attended and all that stuff. And the reaction from the audience was was a thing of beauty. Anna Chumsley, who Chumsley, who's on uh, Veep, uh, had a look that was usually reserved for like a child seeing a balloon for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really <laughs> something like yeah. really just a look of, of shock and awe on her face, and it was like that all the way through. Later on. Uh, the Emmy people and Stephen Colbert took a lot of heat, saying, "Okay, essentially, what you've allowed this guy to do is come on." television with a a massive audience, although numbers were down this year, it's still a big audience, and make fun of the idea that he lied over and over again uh, to the American public. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of firmly on that side of the the fence here, and we're almost out of time for this uh, segment, so I'm going to hold this this topic over for the next one. Uh, But I want to talk with Daniel Shahori, the author of Media Horror, A Shockingly Simple Guide to Becoming Your Own Kick-Ass Publicist. Um, I want to talk about this with Ruth Burns, the executive director of Ontario Culture Days, and with Antenna Salika, the barefoot bingo caller author. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Sean Spicer and whether it was appropriate or not to have him 
at the Emmys this year. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. When we left, we were talking about Sean Spicer. We'll get to that in just a second with my guests, Ruth Byrne. She's the executive director of Ontario Culture Days, which are running from September 29th to October 1st. We'll talk all about that in just a little while. Daniel Shahori is here. He is the co-author with his brother, Stephen, of the book Media Horror, the shockingly simple guide to becoming your own kick-ass publicist. That is also a shockingly uh, self-explanatory title. Good. Yeah. You don't have to look far beyond that to understand what that book is all about. And then the Barefoot Bingo Caller author uh, Antana Salika is here. I used to be the director of the Humber School for Writers, so we're going to talk about writing in just a little while, too. I want to get back to Sean Spicer, then I'll talk a little bit about Culture Days. So, Antana, you look like you have things to say about Sean Spicer on the Emmys. Was it a good move to rehabilitate his image, or was it just allowing him to to get out there and sort of make fun of lying to the public. I am shocked by the shock that people exhibit. I'm shocked by people who are so earnest that they feel that this is a bad thing. He is a bad man, therefore bad men should not speak. It's about performance. Michael Ignatieff once did an article in the New Yorker about politics, and he said most of it is performance. So once you have people who have been in movies succeeding as presidents of the Mm -hmm. USA or as governors, Mm -hmm. then it's all about that, that action. So when he comes out and he performs, we're shocked and interested because he flips the whole narrative. So it's fascinating to behold. And I don't want to be the guy who says he ought not to do that because I'm such a serious person. Ruth? You know, at the end of the day, I watched that bit and I thought the joke was still on him. I thought everyone yeah. was laughing at him. And like at, at him, at, not with him. Yeah, yeah, at him, not with him. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, if we can't find the laughter, then how are we going like, to get up and fight the good fight each day? Daniel? And he, uh, if, they, if the Emmys were really concerned about numbers... Although that was a, an interesting surprise for many people, they should have advertised that in advance. If they, if a lot of people would have tuned in for that, that's right. Yeah. yeah well, see, that's the publicist in you speaking. Right. It's like it's one thing <laughs> right. to have a surprise, but if people uh, don't find out about it till the next day, it doesn't do the show any good if, at all. Again, if that was an actual concern of theirs. And it was. Yeah. I mean, the, the Emmy numbers have been soft lately. People haven't been tuning in. Uh, this year, they were sort of, you know, give or take just a tiny little bit what they were last year. But, you know, the shows that they were celebrating this year were phenomenally successful. Big Little Lies and, and The Handmaiden's Tale. So I think they thought there would just be a lot of eyes on the Emmys because people would be yeah. curious as to what was happening. And it didn't turn out that way. Uh, Ruth, Culture Days is uh, a very cool thing. Culture Days uh, is a national collaborative volunteer movement to raise the awareness, accessibility, participation, and engagement of Canadians in the arts and the cultural lives. And this is the uh, one of two very important keys here of their communities. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the stuff that's happening around you. It's not going to the you know Four Seasons for the performing arts and and watching an opera. Although you might you, you that might be part of it, but it's also about supporting the person who does pottery down the street from you when you live in Vaughan, Ontario. Exactly. It's about not only your you know the big names, but also the community arts groups and the local artists working hard away and really appreciating and connecting with all the creative forces in your community. All the events and activities are free, mm-hmm. and they're in 
over 170 communities across Ontario. Now, it's this show is heard across the country. So um, let's just, you know, suggest that maybe every province should have this going because it's something that's only been around for a few years, but it seems to be very effective at getting the word out about what's going on in the communities. It, it, it is very effective, and you can find <laughs> it in BC. It is actually all across oh, is, yep. the country, right? We're um, Ontario, we work with all the different provinces, um, but we're really proud that in this province, we have over 500,000 people come out and participate in these really meaningful, fun uh, moments in their in their communities. Well, tell me what they are. There's there's uh, any number of things that people in Ontario can mm -hmm. do. And, and so not in just London, Toronto. Let's talk about all over the province. Right. Yeah. So, in, for example, in London, Ontario, they're shutting down Dundas Street and they've commissioned professional artists to produce video works. Um, interactive works, graffiti works, so things that everyone can really enjoy. Same thing in Brockville, um, good old Brockville, a large part of the town is given over to their different community groups coming down and um, say, uh, working on pottery, our large choral groups participating. That's that the, those sorts of things. But then you also have in Toronto, say, the National School of Ballet has an open class and you can go see it. You can participate in classes. The Gardner Museum has free admission. That's great. So yeah, it's it all is. these different levels of um, all these different cohorts participating and sharing what they're doing. What are some of your favorite things? Like if you if you'll be working, so you won't be able to theoretically go to everything <laughs> that you'd like to see from September 29th through to October 1st at Culture Days. But what would you do if you were able to do it? Tapestry Opera has Bandits in the Valley in the Don Valley, um, which I think will be like on. And, and what is that? It is an opera that will be in the actual Don Valley, so on site. So, um, and it, and they're they're dressed up as bandits. So I think that will be super fun. Um, I am I'm I'm excited to bring my kid to the Art Gallery of Burlington to meet with the different potters and the weavers that will be showing what they do as guilds. Um, so there's just there's just so much. Yeah, it's a it's a really great way for people to, to find out what's going on in their community. Because I think quite often, you know, you understand what's happening. You hear, oh, yeah, I know that people do pottery here, but you mm -hmm. don't see it or you don't, you're, you're not in contact with them. Well, and it's really about bringing, making those, that hidden dynamic visible and tangible and accessible. Um, when you look at that church on the corner, you, do you know what's going on there on the weekends? No, but like this is the time to kind of figure out and, and see and and as your role of as, as executive director, what exactly does that mean? Are you choosing do people apply? So for next year, if I'm if I'm a a, a writer living in in uh, you know Tobermory, can I uh, apply to do a writing workshop in my community, or how does it work? This is one of my favorite things about Culture Days. This is a really open platform. So we're essentially coordinating all the different organizers across the province, and the different provinces are coordinating in, in their communities as well. So we have, it has to be engaging, it has to be free, it has to be about arts and culture, and we really leave it up to the individual organizers to shape their program. And they can register with us and we just coordinate them. So it's a really open platform and people can make it suit what they're doing already. You're sitting in a room full of people who make their living in the arts, so uh, not for us particularly, but in 30 seconds, tell me why is it important for people to be exposed to the arts? Because it brings us together. It helps us tell stories about ourselves and understand ourselves better, and it's about connecting us. I think the more stories we tell about ourselves, 
uh, whether they be in print, on the radio, uh, in, on television, or in the films. I think it's a great way to breed empathy as well. There's mm -hmm. something about uh, telling stories and presenting them to a community that I really think uh, opens people's eyes in a way that, that very few other uh, um, methods can. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about Ontario Culture Days. We're going to talk about Media Horror, a shockingly simple guide to becoming your own kick-ass publicist and the Barefoot Bingo Call. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In the studio, we have the author of the Barefoot Bingo Caller, Antana Salika is here. Uh, also, once the director of the Humber School for Writers. So in the next segment, we're going to talk all about writing and we're going to talk about the book. Uh, Ruth Burns is here. We just talked about Culture Days. She's the executive director of Ontario Culture Days. It runs from September 29th through to October 1st with over 170 communities across Ontario participating. Uh, hundreds more nationwide. There's also, um, how many how many events are happening or how many individual culture days? We closed registration on Monday with over 1,500 events. Wow. wow. And they're all free and mm -hmm. it's all it's run by volunteers and that kind of thing. So get out and, and, and figure out what's going on arts-wise in your community and everyone will be the richer for it. Uh, Daniel Shahori is here. Daniel, with his brother Stephen, has written a book called Media Horror, A Shockingly Simple Guide to Becoming Your Own Kick-Ass Publicist. Uh, the title kind of says it all, That's, but that comes from years of being a publicist, I would imagine, and learning how to uh, focus the message down <laughs> into an easily understandable and eye-grabbing way. That is the intent, yeah. absolutely the intent. This book is for anybody anybody who has anything that they wish to share with the world via the media as we're aware there are you know uh, subjectively a lot of negative stories that will come across like in a 24-hour news network uh, our goal is like if you have something that you love doing that you're interested in a lot of the things that Ruth was talking mm -hmm. about all these amazing things that people do and we encourage you to share that I, I rather you fill the airways with things that you love, interesting things that you're happy about. And it's just about, a lot of people find that idea daunting. It's like, well, why would the media care about me? Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever heard of me before. Well, it's it's starting out that way. It's starting to build and build your story. And it's about being respectful. It's just about asking. So we encourage people, it never, like my mom always said, and we quote my mom in the book, it's like, it never hurts to ask. So reach out, say hello, say this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, this is why I think it's interesting, and I would love to talk to you about it. And what's what background, I've known you for a long time, but tell everybody what your background is that, that led you to this point. Right, so Steve and I started, uh, we wanted to do sketch comedy at, mm -hmm. at the old Tim Sims Playhouse that was adjacent to the Second City. And we mounted a sketch comedy show and we thought, you know, it would be nice if people other than friends and family came out and saw this. Right? <laughs> uh, so there was a gentleman that was, you know, who was sort of doing this. He wasn't an official publicist, but he wanted to help. And we paid this gentleman $500. And we thought, this is a lot of money for us back mm -hmm. then. This is like 1999. And we're just starting out. It's a lot of money. And, of course, because we didn't bring, it wasn't his fault, but we didn't bring much to the table at that right. point. He got us nothing. And, and we certainly didn't blame him, but we're like, we can't afford to do this every time, so we need to learn how to do this. And so Steve, uh, he took a class. I think the Fringe Festival in Toronto offered a class on how to write a press release, and Steve took that class. And then I said, okay, well, if you went through this trouble, I will take it upon myself to reach out to the people in the media and see if they'll talk to us. And it took 
you know, at first it took us a good year, year and a half before anybody even responded to us. Again, we were, because, you know, we were the comedy people doing a comedy show at a comedy venue. There, that was their story. There yeah. wasn't much to that story. Yeah, like, there's not much deal. to say yeah. about right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took, it, and it's st- we're still learning this close to 20 years later. We're, we're still learning the finer points, how to just clearly express what you're doing, what makes it interesting. And how, well, how do you get notice? There's so much noise out there there's right now. It, there's a lot of noise. I know I've just come off covering the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, without any exaggeration, I can tell you that every day for three weeks leading up to and then during the, the festival itself, I got between five and six hundred emails oh, a, day a day of people, oh, yeah, a day yeah. of people telling me uh, about events that were coming, wanting me to go to you know right. uh, certain screenings, inviting me to parties, pitching me interviews, that kind of thing, and it's impossible. It's right. impossible to wade through all that. So how do you stand out? Well, because that's not every day. Now it's it's of the course. remarkable thing about the film festival right. is that after receiving thirty thousand emails in in a month, uh, after that, you know, yesterday I got ten. Right. So it's <laughs> over. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's little over. easier to manage now. But, but I'm going to have you help me answer the question by flipping it on you. So how when you receive that much, at what? How do you go through that? I go through that. I look uh, for a couple of things. I look for publicists that I know, right? Uh, because people that I've worked with certainly, you know, and and have booked guests and 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 interviews through before. Uh, that makes a difference to me. I look for uh, catchy uh, subject lines, Very good. something yep. that that will stand out and 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 grab my eye. Right. I look for someone who actually feels like they have something to offer other than strictly self promotional. You know, if I, particularly now for the new television show, Pop Life, Saturday nights, 8.30, CTV News Channel, um, I'm looking for, I'm not looking for, that was shameless, I know, but get used to it. Um, uh, I'm not looking for interviews uh, that are going to be of a strictly promotional uh, 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 subject. I want people that are willing to talk about themselves. The first thing that I learned when I was doing this, and this, you know, more than any other, and more than any class I took in school about how to do anything, the first thing I learned was people want to hear about people. That's right. That's and, it. And that was That's that it. has stayed right. with me forever. Good. I'm and, glad I asked you this because again, I think people would much rather hear this from you. Then they they can take my word for it, but you are somebody in the media, and you're telling them that this is what I look for, and all those points that you mentioned we write about in the book. So I'm glad that you well, said all and, these and I'll tell you why mm-hmm. you're here. I mean, well, one, I've known you for a long time, and and this all happened. The promotion for your book uh, came out during the Toronto International Film Festival, right. so I wasn't really paying attention to anything except yeah. what was happening, you know, on a screen in front of me. And uh, then I saw a, a clip. You must have posted something on Facebook an interview with on television or something that you had done. And because it was you guys, I was like, oh, I know those guys. I'll have a look. And I had a look and I thought it was cool. And the title grabbed me. Good. Yeah, right. the, the the title of the book. And uh, so when I emailed you the other day, that was simply what? I had missed it during TIFF. I'm because happy that, could, Of course. Yeah. And I wouldn't have bothered you during, like, you were the one person in this country that I would not have bothered <laughs> at that time. But you still, but uh, again, our book was scheduled uh, months and months and months in the back from a, from a, a, a company in Vancouver who 
isn't necessarily considering TIFF. Oh, the only people that consider TIFF live in about, you know, a, a 10 block radius right. of it. I mean, it's like, you know, that's it. I understand that the rest of the country right. who are listening now uh, don't really care about it. Uh, but when you're in the middle of it covering it, of course. It, was, uh, it was a lot. So even in those times, you have to tell yourself, okay, not even though this is an all-encompassing thing, not everybody, there's other news happening. Yeah. And I'm here to provide you with other news happening. I'll also right. throw in a couple of things here in the last couple of minutes of this segment. I'm always annoyed by publicists uh, who get in touch with me with stories that are absolutely not appropriate for Good. what I do. Exactly. So, I, it, so uh, if you're selling a new kind of soap, don't pitch the film right. critic on right. it that's, because I'm not going to interview the CEO with a soap company. It's almost like you, you wrote this book. There's a lot of, almost, <laughs> uh, almost uh, not verbatim, but the, that exact example used in a different form, we use uh, and we reiterate that, oh, do not bother the New York media just because you happen to have them on your media list if you're doing an event in Toronto. Just because yeah. you, you don't do these mass email blasts, it, it will not serve you. It will not serve you. So know your press. Yeah. Um, how often do you follow up? Because here's something, yeah. it, it, again, when you get four or five, 600 mm -hmm. emails a day, right. you can't follow up on all of them. And so I will just delete them. Boom. And 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 I assume that people understand that if I Good. don't respond, that I'm not coming. But then you get the annoying follow-ups. I want people to hear exactly that too, like because that will happen. Uh, it always after a while, I've got to know certain people in the media. I know they're yep. the sweet spot with That's certain know people. your press, though. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so, to me, I would follow up no more than twice. I mean, yeah. including the initial press release. So now this person has been contacted by me three times. That is enough. I know when to leave it. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it, this might be counterintuitive to what you if you're in business, you're you're sort of trained that not to take no for an answer. I'm saying in, in this world, accept the no, respect it, because I'm gonna come back to you in another three months with yep. something new. Yep. And we're not just trying to obtain media for this product. We always tell people, what you're doing now is very important, but it's not as important as, as to what you're gonna be doing next. And whether you are uh, pitching a movie, a new book, uh, a community event, whatever, you should pick up Daniel's new book. It's called Media Horror, A Shockingly Simple Guide to Becoming Your Own Kick-Ass Publicist. Uh, it's available where fine and not-so-fine books are sold everywhere yep. Yep. and online and all that kind of stuff. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about another book, and we're going to talk about writing. We're going to talk with Antina Salika. The book is called The Barefoot Bingo Caller. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have a really interesting mix of people. Daniel Shahori is here. You just heard him talking all about media horror, a shockingly simple guide to becoming your own kick-ass publicist. Don't harass the press. No. Know your press. Yes. Pitch a good story. Be clear. Be clear. It's yeah. it's pretty simple point. stuff, but yeah. it's amazing and how nice. often. And be nice. Uh, and uh, so pick up this book because it's sort of a grassroots way of looking at getting publicity for whatever it is that you're doing. That's if correct. you're doing a comedy show at your local bar or, you know, something. Small business, small entrepreneurs, business. if you're an athlete, doesn't matter what it is. Yep. And it's a, a great book for all that. And you can find it. Is there a website that you'd like to push people towards? Uh, Mediahore.me. Mediahore.me. Okay. Mediahore.me. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I see it's available at Amazon and all those Amazon, places too. Amazon, so Indigo, however, Staples even. Yeah. However yeah. you want to find it, uh, you can. Uh, Ruth Burns is here. She is the executive producer of uh, Ontario Culture Days. It runs from October 29th through to October 1st in 170 communities across Ontario. There are 
1,500 events that you can go to. It's amazing. Uh, you can meet writers. You can meet weavers. You can meet potters. You can meet anyone sort of almost at any level involved in the arts in this country. Uh, you'll be able to uh, to meet them. And it's all across the country. So every province has has their own uh, sort of look back. And it's an important thing, you know, to expose kids. I always think of it as uh, a great way to not only expose, you know, mom and dad, but the kids to what's going on in their community and hopefully get them involved as well. Well, and get them exposed to all the possibilities out there. And on uh, Antanas uh, Salika is here. His book is called The Barefoot Bingo Caller. Uh, you were the director of the Humber School for Writers. That's right. And you are now in repose writing book after book in after repose, book. More time. Yes, in repose to have time to write more books. Because when you got a day job, you can only get so many of them out. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when you were you were teaching, I guess. Like... I was teaching and running a writing school. I was in Humber College one way or another for 35 years. But at the same time, you know, I was writing books. I was doing mm -hmm. freelance. And I was raising a family. So busy time. And I've got a few more books in me. And I've got to get the time to get those out. And, and how did you? manage it before i know uh that for me it's not a scheduled thing uh for me it's finding through i write every single day right. but i i find that it has to be uh you know sometimes i just get up at five o'clock in the morning because i know the rest of the day is shot so i'm not going to get to anything and other times it's at night sometimes it's during the day it depends and and it's not always ideal <laughs> i don't think to work that way but i feel i do have to write every day how did well, you work well it? for the the strangely the tensest time and the most productive time is when the kids are small because then you have no time there's all right. these demands so my wife and i split the week she's an artist mm -hmm. i would take two nights with the family two nights away she took two nights on mm -hmm. two nights away friday we're together each of us gets yeah. half a weekend day Right, so we, you, oh, wow. well, well, it was intense, you know. Uh, but I had to get the books written, you know. Uh, so it was very, very tough. In a way, when you have freedom, there are a lot of people I know that I've met who say, "Well, you know, um, luckily my spouse is bringing in enough income, uh, I can write," and they have a harder time mm -hmm. because there's a formlessness that happens. It's like a journalist need a deadline, yes. and creative writing, you, know, you can use a deadline sometimes I too. I think a deadline for me is yeah. is the most important yeah. thing, and right. you know my. My because of of my work outside of what we're doing right here, uh, it's all deadline work. And and yeah. it it on Friday when all the reviews that I've written for the week and all the articles and things generally speaking come out, you start at zero on Monday again. You right. go back and reset. You're like, it reset completely, <laughs> yeah. and it's another week of deadlines. Right. And, but I find it's the it it keeps me sharp and it yeah. keeps me. Uh, moving forward. Yeah, even now in retirement, you know, there's a place called the Writer's Room mm -hmm. in Toronto. Uh, it's just a room full of carols for writers who want to get out of the house because otherwise I'll be making dinner by 10 a.m., yep. right? So yep. that's that's no good. Yeah, my house is never cleaner than when I'm working on a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once went to a party, talking about baking men earlier on, I once went to a party and bought four desserts and they said, what's up with you? And I said, writer's block. Yeah, uh, totally. right. yeah. yeah, there's always something better to do. Right, probably, right, right, exactly. So, the Barefoot Bingo Caller, available through ECW Press, right. uh, is um, set in a in, in the collapsing Soviet Union. And in a bingo hall. So tell me about... Well, I'm going to take us to the bingo hall first. It's a memoir which spans my entire life. And the title, I was a little shy about this title, but my publisher insisted about it. And it it's tells catchy. us... 
Catchy, right. So back when I was in my 20s, I was a caller in a bingo hall. And bingo in the day in particular, there weren't any lotteries. Bingo was like the poor man's Las Vegas. And I was kind of like the Mel Torme of the bingo hall. So one night, you have to imagine, by the way, 700 people, 650 of them, including me, smoking. Everybody's smoking, right? Dance with smoke. People that I knew won that night. So they won that night, and they wanted to take me out for a night on the town to booze cans, you know, the after-hours right. clubs. But I was, uh, I'd grown up kind of a suburban, straight-laced kid of immigrant parents. Yeah. So we go to a booze can behind a, a factory sort of down here in the old garment district, and the doorman, who you can't even see, it's just a cigarette, yeah, goes light and dark, and the yeah. night says, shoes, man. And I was wearing something like hush puppies. So you can't get into an after-hours bar with hush puppies because <laughs> you look like a goof. Yeah, you're <laughs> not <laughs> hip enough. So they yeah. were all set to ditch me, and I said, no, no, I really want to experience this. So I ditched my shoes. And we went on that night from booze can to booze can. I was going barefoot. In my youth, I had this party trick. I had these rough, tough feet in the summertime. I could butt out a cigarette with my bare foot. And this seemed to catch the attention of the people. And it, that night rolled on and on until the police closed us down about 5, 6 in the morning. Oh, yeah. A night to remember, a in nice other to words. Remember. Right? Yeah, Toronto used to have, and maybe it still does, and I just don't go to them, but it used to have a very active after-hours right. Uh, right. nightlife. Right. And... Uh, People stubbing cigarettes out with their bare feet. It was amazing. <laughs> right. It was an amazing time. And so what, what prompted you to write this? Uh, I have to say, I was working on a big, heavy novel. And the way I always wanted to be Leo Tolstoy, right. but my friend uh, uh, Jack David, who runs ECW Press, finds that once I've had two cocktails or two coffees, I start to talk. <laughs> I start to tell stories. And he said, stop talking, start writing. I said, I'm writing this big, heavy novel. He said, give it a rest, write this down. So it was the easiest thing I ever wrote. And not only that, I sent it to him, and that afternoon he writes back to me saying, people in the office ask me why I'm laughing. Right. Next day he writes to me and says, come on in, I'll sign you up. And I'd never had such an experience. Because, you know, it's all about angst and, yeah. and the, the great Canadian novel and the research. And this thing just flew right along. It was a lot of fun. I love Jack David. He is so encouraging to writers. Uh, he helped me kind of simplify the stuff that I was writing. Because like right. you, I thought it had to be weighty and heavy and stuff. And, and, and he made me figure out uh, how to find the thing that I really loved writing about. And the the book in particular, I'm thinking it's called uh, uh, Raising Hell, Ken Russell right. and the Unmaking of the Devil's Nonfiction. Look at one of the most kind of transgressive movies ever made. Right. And it's a heavy, it's a pretty heavyweight uh, thing, but he sort of f helped me figure out a way to tell the story. Uh, and the book uh, ended up doing really, really well for a movie that nobody has seen. Which well, is I, I've known a story about him. I wish I could remember the author's name, but he was watching a Super Bowl with somebody, and on a uh, commercial break, that person said he liked sailing. And Jack said, you should write a book about sailing. I think you've got a good story. And this guy went on to become a writer who made his living writing books yep. about sailing. So Jack at ECW Press, wonderful guy. Yeah, and, and, and has encouraged a, a, yeah. a generation yeah. at least of yeah. writers, yeah. maybe two. Yeah. Uh, so the Barefoot Bingo Caller uh, is in stores right now. You can uh, pick it up wherever, as I said, about media horror. Wherever fine and not-so-fine books are sold, it's available online. You can also find out about it at ecwpress.com. And uh, let's uh, kick around some other pop culture news here. So in New Brunswick, the, you are not allowed, not everywhere, Bathurst, New Brunswick, you are not allowed to go trick-or-treating and asking for treats if you're over 16 years of age. Mm. There's a bylaw. 
And, you know, for the life of me, I can't really figure out why this bylaw would be in place. Part of it is, I mean, I guess they just don't want, you know, people annoyed and troubled by people coming up and knocking on their door at all hours. You know, the, maybe the older kids would be going out a bit later. I don't know what it is, but it seems silly to me. Daniel? Well, that's interesting because I naturally cut myself off around 16 from right. going trick-or-treating. Uh, should it be regulated? Uh, I don't Maybe they've had specific issues in that region. But I felt my, me and my friends were like, that's enough. We've, that's it. It, it yeah. seemed it, it, yeah. that's, that's about right after a while right. you lose the interest in it, I think. Uh, well, you know, also I didn't want to give candy to those big kids. Yeah. They'd show up and say, I think, who, who do you think you are? But right? see, I was always really tall. Right. And so oh. even when I was 13, people were like, aren't you a little right. old? I'm like, no, I'm right. exactly the right age to be out here doing this. But, yeah. but see, that's the thing, is you're supposed to just make fun of the kids who look too old, right? right? You're just, you challenge them. You don't have to pass a bylaw. And also often with attitude and no costumes. Like, hey, there's a minimum entry fee here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Idea, right? Yeah. No? All right, yeah. Uh, that's it. That's all the time we have. Daniel Shahori, his book is called Media Horror, A Shockingly Simple Guide to Becoming Your Own Kick-Ass Publicist. Wrote it with his brother, Stephen Shahori, who couldn't be with us today. He for is he is Los living in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, big time. Uh, Ruth Burns from Culture Days is here, October, no, September 29th to October 1st. Mm-hmm. Check it out in your community. And then uh, we have the Barefoot Bingo caller, uh, Antanas uh, Salika has been here to talk about that book. Um, I want to do one more quick plug for uh, Pop Life. Watch it Saturday night, 8.30 on the CTV News Channel. This week, we talk about the evil parts of social media with Jen Hollett from Twitter Canada. There used to be this idea that there was an online and an offline, but mm-hmm. I think now it's all IRL in real life. Right. So the idea that we have a life that isn't online we are kind of documenting and sharing and if we're not someone else's in the room. So I, I think we're now just in a digital era where it is who we are and the experience is in real life, but also expressed and captured on social. You can find out more about that conversation Saturday night at 8.30 on CTV News Channel, the show's Pop Life. Thanks for listening in. Thanks to Ruth and Tennis and Daniel for coming here and thanks to Andre and the board.